Well, hey, um, we're in John chapter 12. And uh, last week we hit Lazarus. And uh, this week uh, we're going to hit Lazarus because he's in both chapters. Um, We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 12. And and then I'm going to pray. So let me read it. It'll be up on the screen. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to... Bethany, where Lazarus was. Again, if you were with us last week, you remember that this is where this story took place. It's, uh, you know, about a mile and a half outside of Jerusalem, and it's a place that Jesus would frequent. He loved these people. It's where Mary Mary and Martha lived. There's a lot of Mary and Martha in the uh, book of John, and uh, and this is another occasion. Jesus is coming back where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner. For him there, Mary served. Of course she served, because that's what Mary does. And Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. Skip down to verse 9. When uh, when the large crowd, this is oftentimes we miss this aspect um, of this passage, but it's all in the same context. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And so you get this picture that like there's a huge crowd there and sometimes it's Jesus gets a crowd because he's healing people and then other times it's a crowd because the Pharisees are trying to trick him. And this is sort of a combination. A lot of people are just here because they've heard that Lazarus was raised from the dead but haven't actually seen him in person. So it's just this picture of it's not just the disciples but there's a huge crowd of people and they're like, I mean you imagine if, if you've never seen somebody that has been raised from the dead. Um, who was in the tomb for four days, um, you know, literally came out, you know, wrapped in burial clothes and had to unwrap him. And then you get to see him for the first time. I mean, you could, <laughs> Lazarus probably just got tired of people like staring at him, you know, <laughs> like the little kids are like, are you really, right? Poke him like, are you a ghost? <laughs> and so this was sort of one of those occasions. Um, and so uh, it was, it was a combination of the disciples and Jesus having this meaningful time with his friends in addition to sort of a spectator mob. And this is where we find ourselves. Father God, I pray for the word today. I ask that uh, you would speak and I pray that you would open up our ears and our eyes. Lord, that we wouldn't just hear a cool story and maybe some good ideas, but there would be something that takes place on the inside that you would continue to awaken us to the good news of the gospel, to who you are, Jesus. Yes. And Father, I thank you that when we see you, we are changed from glory to glory, moment to moment. And God, we don't want to be the same. Yes. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I want to talk to you about one of my favorite topics. Um, I want to talk to you about giving. I want to talk to you about serving. I want to talk to you about generosity. I want to talk to you about living a life of service unto God. It's one of my favorite topics. And you'll notice if you've come to our church even just one time that um, that we have a unique approach at giving. Um, We've never passed the bucket. And I say bucket because a lot of churches, um, they actually do like a, a KFC Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket, because they just think that it's fun, and it just looks better than a plate or one of those velvet, you ever do the velvet bags? Um, Anyway, 
We don't pass the bucket. We don't pass the plate. Um, in fact, when we were meeting outside, it was almost impossible to know, do people give here and how would they give? I mean, now we have like this little box back there that's so incognito that you rarely find anything in it. But nevertheless, um, <laughs> you, you really need to be like an insider to know um, how to give here. And I, 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 I've been given a hard time for that um, over a period of time. Some because that just kind of messes with some people's religious beliefs about what offerings and tithes and offerings are. You know, come to the, bring your tithes and offerings to the storehouse, which is the church, which I believe in. Uh, and some of which, because the church council is like, man, we, we might be able to uh, do better if we actually talked about it, like, at least a little. Um, and so uh, this is that sermon, but it's not going to help the, the overall cause of like giving because that's not what this purpose is. Uh, the purpose of this message is really to share my heart about something that's transformed my life. And, and I think that it's transformed many of you. I think we're in the process of being transformed. And it's the way we approach this topic. And it really has very little to do with money and more to do with the spirit of giving, generosity, serving, and ultimately a, a life of service unto God. And where that comes from, Oh, it's going to be good. Um, giving at Heart Church is not a prerequisite, obligation, or expectation. And, and, and the moment it becomes so, we rob ourselves of one of the greatest blessings that we have as sons and daughters. I don't believe it's, it is for God and it isn't for this church. And some of you are like, wait a minute. Does that mean I'm not supposed to give? Does that mean God doesn't care about this? Stick with me. Um, because I believe that there's, a, there's the greatest blessing that God has for us as his kids in this topic. But if it doesn't come from the right place, then, uh, then we rob ourselves of what God intended it to be. So um, th this message is going to articulate that. And at the end of the message, we all are going to be right in the middle of fulfilling a prophecy. It's kind of like one of those moments where you, uh, you have like the Guinness Book of World Records. It's like, I was there during that moment where we broke that Guinness Book of World Records. You're going to be able to say that today. We are going to fulfill an actual prophecy by the end of this message. Sound good? Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, the story didn't start with, um, with John chapter 12. In fact, the story started about a year earlier in the home of Mary and Martha. And it's a familiar passage that some of you know. We're going to pick up in Luke. Uh, it's, in this, it's in multiple Gospels, but we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 10. And this is sort of where the story of what was really happening that day in that room, the story and the epic moment that people walked away from wasn't that I saw Lazarus. It was something different. Something that changed the atmosphere in that room and, um, and we're going to read about where that came from and where it started in Luke chapter 10. And we're going to start reading in verse 38. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. We know where that village was. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. This was Bethany. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But... Mary 
was distracted with much serving. I'm sorry, Martha was distracted with much serving. Do we have that up there? Okay. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her, uh, tell them to, uh, to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. <laughs> Martha, Martha. <laughs> like, really? Come on. Marsha, Marsha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. Not that we can relate at all with that. But one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen it, the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The first idea that I have for you is a simple word, revelation. Learning to live from identity and not for identity. Again, everybody's like, what does this have to do with giving? Hold on with me, because it has everything to do with giving. It has everything to do with serving. It has everything to do with a living a life of sacrifice to, unto God. Um, Mary gets a bad rap, and I've said this before. You know, if, if you know, it's stressful enough when the pastor or your boss says, hey, I need to meet. And then it's another thing that when they say, I'm coming over to your house to meet, you're like, ah, I got to clean the house. Kids, throw, throw everything under the bed, right? I mean, it's this mad dash to like, you put the Bible on, on, the, on the table. It's like, yeah, I've been reading, oh, we better keep it open. You know, I'm reading Psalms, you know? It's just like, I don't know if you noticed that. But when the pastor comes over, right, uh, you know, there's just a whole le- another level of, clean and holy. Let's put some Christmas Christian music on. I don't know any Christian. Just put it on, you know. Break out our Christian t-shirts and our posters. And, uh, and, and this is what we do. We create this environment. And, and so, you know, Jesus is like the son of God's coming over to Mary and Martha's house. And so, so Martha's doing what everyone would do. And she's doing, going over and above. She's like, Jesus didn't ask for food. She's making food. Jesus didn't ask for it to be catered, you know, three-course meal. She's doing all of that. And she's like, Mary, come on, it's Jesus, come on. And she's like, no, I'm not, really, I'm not really on that track. But Martha was sort of all in. And, and, and Martha represents the way that most of us come at Christianity, the way that most of us come at this, this idea of living a life of service to the Lord. We always start with that. What, what do I need to do? What hoops do I need to jump through in order to be accepted, in order to be loved in order to be valued because Martha desired that from the Messiah. I want Jesus to come to my house and I want him to leave and go, man, that was amazing. Like we went over to uh, uh, Eric and Amber's house last night to have uh, dinner and we played games and um, Heather cheated. So she won the games, but it's fine. It's no big deal. I'm not competitive or anything, but, um, but it was so wonderful because we got to come and they like the house was immaculate and you know, just like everything was, was perfect. And, uh, and it's because they made, put intentionality to it. They're like, I don't know, maybe your house is always like that. If that's the case, it's because you don't have kids. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but no, it was so wonderful. And, um, and, and that's what we do, right? And, 
And on one level, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, we want to put our best foot forward to church. We, we dress nice, and we, we bring our Bibles, and, and we're trying to offer something of worth. And I believe that that's what Martha's had, like, the best intentions in the world. And yet, comparatively to Mary, it was very different. And yet, Mary's the one that's praised. And... This is where, I wrote this down, this is where we learn that activity does not equal faith. Activity does not equal faith. Martha's act of service was not faith at all. It was motivated by something very different. It was motivated from a desire to be approved of, to be accepted. And at the, at the core root of that is fear. Fear motivates all of it. Fear of rejection, fear of not being accepted, like all of these fears come up and it motivates us in the way that we do things. And if we're not careful, it really does seep into our act of service unto God. I must do these things. But I promise that if your service is motivated from that place, guess what? It will be empty and you will get tired. And then you'll walk away and say, the church used me. I feel used. Now, there's lots of cases where the church could do a way better job of honoring and valuing people for who they are and not what they can do. But at the end of the day, we have to evaluate what is the motivation for why I'm doing what I'm doing. And this is where we find Mary. See, Mary shows us another way, and Mary was not showing us how to rest. And this is, I think, where this like, story gets painted. It's like, hey, here's Martha, and she's the busybody, and here's Mary, and she's showing us how to just rest and take a Sabbath and take a day off, right, and all those things. And it's like, that's all fine and good, but that's not what Mary's modeling. Mary is modeling something very different. Mary is teaching us uh, um, how to overcome fear and begin to accept our kingdom identity by faith and not by works. She was seated at the place with Jesus saying, I don't need to do anything. Which is kind of a crazy thought because I'm going to go a step further and say, you don't have to put anything in the bucket. And the church council's like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. You don't have to do anything. Swallow that for a minute. Otherwise, Jesus would have been saying to Mary, like, Mary, I appreciate the fact that you're valuing this relationship, but your sister is doing all the work. I kind of need you to step up. You're being lazy. No, he didn't do that at all. He's like, Mary's chosen it, and it's not going to be taken from her. Mm. This, this revelation, guys, this revelation. Mary had a revelation. Revelation is your kids learning to tie their shoes. Like my kids had Velcro a lot growing up because they're like, I don't know how to tie shoes. And so it's just easier. But there comes a point where the loop-de-loop makes sense. And then all of a sudden, boom, that happens. And it's like, light bulb, I tied my shoes. 
I remember one time, I, I can't remember if it was this, which one of the kids or kids of this, was like a lot of times the kids learn to tie their shoes in the bathroom because you just like have a lot of time sitting on the pot, right? And you got your shoes up on the step, right? And that moment comes where you tie his shoes and you're like, ah! And they stand up and they come running out, you know, pants between their legs like, I did it, I tied my shoes. And you're like, okay, okay, go back into the bathroom. Revelation, it's that aha moment of, oh my gosh. What has God done for me? This is what Mary was encountering. Revelation. Learning to live from identity and not for identity. So we go back to John chapter 12. And we see how Mary stole the show. So when, when I first discovered this, I didn't realize that these were the same Marys. There's a lot of Marys in the Bible, and you get them all mixed up. It's like there's the Mary that sat at the feet of Jesus, there's the Mary with the hair, and then there's the Mary with the tears and the hair thing, and then there's the ointment, and then there's the Mary like the mother of Jesus. There's so many Marys in the Bible, and you don't always know which one's which. Even as a pastor, I get them mixed up. When I discovered that this is the same Mary, it changed everything. Mary and Martha and Mary did nothing. Even when her big sister is modeling, you don't do nothing when Jesus comes over. You do everything. And she, she did nothing. And then now, months later, same Mary, same Martha, she's serving. And here's Mary. Oh, I love this. John chapter 12. So we talked about Jesus came to Bethany and, and everyone's like, ooh, Lazarus, Mary totally st steals a show in verse three. It says, Mary, therefore, huge crowd, right? Huge crowd. She took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot and one of the disciples said, why was this? not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. Like, are you kidding me? As it's being like poured out, like the disciples are like, ah! Because this ointment, this oil, uh, was worth literally one year's wage. That's how expensive and priceless this oil. They could have sold this oil for one year's wage. So translated in today's dollars, what do you make in a year? That's what was poured on the feet of Jesus. This wasn't a gesture. This wasn't like a tip. This was an entire year's salary given to Jesus. And the, even the disciples are like, like trying to get it back in the bottle. Like, no, 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 no. You don't need to do that. It's okay. Jesus is just fine. He's never asked that of us. There's other ways to love. And once again, Mary gets it right. Once again, the first round, she was doing nothing, and her sister was scolding her for doing nothing, and now she's doing everything. And the disciples are scolding her, and once again, Jesus is like, no, I don't think you understand what's going on here. It says this, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you, you always have with you, but you do not always have me with you. 
So this is about response. We started with the revelation. Mary had a revelation. And the revelation is, I can be. I am a human being, not a human doing. And the most important thing for me, and the most important thing that God cares about, is that I learn to be. I am a son and a daughter, first and foremost. I'm not a doer. I'm a, I, I, I am a person who has immense value, period. And what flows from that is a response. God has hardwired us to respond when we encounter that. When we encounter that kind of level of revelation, there is a response, and it's an overflow. God has called us to pour our life out. And, and we can go through the New Testament, and we can read Paul's letters, and, you can, and we can build a whole case around the fact that God has created us to, to live a life of sacrifice. If you think that God wants 10% of your money, you've totally missed the point. God doesn't want 10%. He wants all of it. He wants 100%. 10% is like a basic Old Testament starting point. In the New Testament, it's like that's the, that's the baseline. God wants our whole life. But it starts with, you don't have to give anything. See, the Old Testament is all I want is 10%, but you have to give it. And the New Testament is, you don't have to give everything. You don't have to give anything. But I want everything. But I only want it if it overflows. I only want it if it's a sacrifice of worship unto God, like a fragrant aroma that filled the room. She stole the show. The fragrance filled the whole room. This place was packed with spectators. They're poking at Lazarus. They're here to criticize Jesus. And Mary steps up and she goes, let me tell you what this person Jesus has done. He didn't just raise from somebody from the dead. He raised me from the dead. I was dead and now I'm alive. I had a moment sitting at the feet of Jesus. He opened up my eyes and opened up my heart. And now all I can do is give everything to him. And if I had more, I'd give it. This is a life of privilege, sacrifice unto God. It's an overflow. It's a response. And if our service unto God is not a response, then it will be empty and you will get tired. You will get burnt out. You will get wounded. And I'll tell you what, Mary wasn't wounded. And I promise you, if there was any more in that bottle, she would have dumped it all out on Jesus. And, and people are like, no, you don't have to give that much. And I don't know if you've ever had somebody say that. Like, why do you give so much to the church? And maybe if it's not money, maybe it's service or whatever. And I don't know if you've had that thing, like, evoking you. Like, no, wait a minute. Like, I, no, one, no one told me I had to do this. I want to. I want to. It's a response. He's so good. And I couldn't even begin to repay him. And so everything that I give is a response and it's a blessing. And if I had more, I would do it. If I had more hours in the day, I'd give them. If I had more opportunity, I'd give them. I believe this is the spirit of Mary and I'm, I'm, I'm grasping after that spirit every day. And, 
and I'm fighting for it for my kids. And I've said this before, like my biggest dream is that our kids would grow up and your kids would grow up in the house of the Lord with a want to, not a have to. No, I want to. I want to come. Man, if the doors would open earlier, I'd be here earlier. If you did more stuff and more things, like I want to be a part. Obviously, there's balance, right? But that's the beautiful thing is that this was on Mary's terms out of the overflow. It wasn't a demand. It wasn't an obligation. And the minute that we step into that, then we, then we, then we rob ourselves of the blessing. This was an overflow. I lost myself in my notes. The last thing is this, ripple effect. We talked about having a revelation. I was lost and now I'm found. And the response to that is my worship. And that's what I do value about, about bringing your, your, your tithes to the storehouse. And again, there's lots of ways to give that isn't like bringing it physically, but you can bring it you know, virally. But, but the, the idea of a response that says, God, this is worship. I believe that giving and serving and being generous in and outside of these walls is an offering to the Lord. It is worship. It is a fragrance that when you crack that bottle and the the, the fragrance comes out, it changes the dynamic in the room and people go, whoa, that wasn't religion. There was something more to that. What's, What's going on there? The last is the ripple effect. See, what God can do with a privileged sacrifice. I, I, I love this part, and I, I promised that we, would, uh, that we would fulfill a prophecy. And in, and in doing and preaching this message, we have in Matthew chapter 26, verse 13, Jesus is referring to this story, and he says, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what Mary has done will also be told in her memory. Wherever this story that we just told, wherever the gospel is preached, this story will be told. Why? It's a very peculiar thing. Some lady in some big crowded room looking at some you know, dead guy who's raised to life pours some perfume and all of a sudden it creates such an effect that everywhere in the world where the gospel is preached, not tithing, not giving, not like essential oils teaching the gospel wherever the gospel is preached the raw gospel is preached this story will be told can you imagine can you imagine what if mary had an inkling of what she understood she was about to do that was so profound and so demonstrated the kingdom of god that that jesus says that's it I've been on this earth now for three years. I've seen a lot. I've seen people get healed. I've seen people, you know, leave their whole life and come after me. Like, I've seen all of it. And Jesus says, of all of the things I've seen, that right there is the kingdom of God. Why? Because it was a response of the goodness of God. Somebody encountered God, and out of that flowed. God, give, I give you my life. 
There's no fear in that. See, perfect love casts out fear. Why, why are we so reserved? Because we're fearful. We're fearful. I don't want to be taken advantage of. But when we step into the perfect love of God, we say, God, there's, there's no fear now. There's no fear because my offering and my sacrifice is unto you, God. And there's no risk in that. There's no risk in that. This changes everything. I think oftentimes we, we see what we have to offer as little. We see our gifts and our talents and our abilities and what we could bring to the table, whatever table that might be. And we just kind of say, I mean, like, I really don't know how much impact. Like, look at the need. And my little bit, really? I love this principle. See, when we come to God with an overflow, an offering that fills the room like a fragrance that is undeniable because of the place that it's coming, not because of the amount or the time served or the gift that you're offering, but because of the heart of which it serves. God says, okay, I can do something with that. I can change those fish and loaves, those five fish and those two loaves, because it's offered in such a way, I can do something that literally changes people's lives everywhere. This is what we're called to. This is what you're called to. And this is what we get to be a part of. That is the kingdom of God. It's like a mustard seed that starts out as the smallest seed, but when planted with the right heart and the right motivation as an offering unto God, it grows into the largest tree where birds, they, they, they land on it and they nest on it and it becomes this amazing thing, but it started out as something that seemed so insignificant. Don't you dare discount what you offer to the Lord. Right. Right. It's profound. It is powerful. And in the hands of God, offered as an offering to the Lord, has a ripple effect. Yeah. Father God, I thank you that uh, thank you, Jesus. you've called us to start in a place every day where we say, God, I thank you that I have the privilege I have the opportunity to be a son and a daughter first. That I'm fully loved and fully accepted. That I don't have to jump through religious hoops. That I'm not obligated. That, that I can just be. And God, it's from the place where I realize that you've transformed my life and that you've created me to be a person that out of the overflow lives a life of meaning and destiny as I pour my life out unto others. God, that it's beautiful and it's significant. And so, Father, I pray that you would continue to awaken us and open us up to this reality, this life. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you.